Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the elusive Saturday edition of The Yard. Let me explain. I missed recording yesterday. I uh, had originally planned to see my mother on Sunday. And uh, one of those things where, yeah, she had gifts for the kids and I couldn't get them before Christmas because I'd gone to New Mexico. And then as soon as I got back, I went on vacation. So we just couldn't work it out. And uh, so it's planned to be Sunday. And then mom hit me up on Thursday night and said, hey, looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Well, I didn't realize that the date had changed and it had. And so I had to make some changes Went down and met them, and then I got back, and I didn't feel well, to be honest with you. And I said, well, I'll just maybe lay down for a while. Maybe I'll feel better and uh, record Friday night. Well, it didn't work out. So here we are. So I apologize for the delay. Many of you have hit me up wondering if any, everything is okay and uh, you know, where the Friday Boneyard is. Well, here it is. So it's on Saturday. So I apologize. So a lot's happened as all these notifications come rolling in. I, I, I never understand why that is. We'll just do all this together. I wish it would stop. I really do. Yeah, there we go. So we're done. So here we are. And uh, a lot has happened since we've been together. Of course, Zach Selman from Oklahoma is now your new director of athletics at Mississippi State. Now, a couple things about this. You know, from the very beginning, a lot of people said, well, why do we need to conduct a national search if we're just going to hire Jared Banco? I am a Jared Banco fan. Jared is a great friend. I had somebody offer me the opportunity to go to Georgia Southern this year and cover that baseball regional since we were not going to have a regional here, unfortunately. They said, hey, Steve, I know you love college baseball. Would you love to go cover this for us? We would appreciate that. And uh, Jared wanted me to come. Matter of fact, Jared sent me a Georgia Southern uh, cap and shirt, not that I could wear that in the press box. And to be honest with you, I haven't worn it since then. I, I'm a Mississippi State guy. I don't wear other colleges stuff. But I do appreciate the gift. And so, yeah, I like Jared Benko. And I would have been thrilled for Jared Benko to be our director of athletics. Um, but you do a national search to get people like Zach Selman. Yeah, it would have been easy. that The safe and easy hire, and I think Jared Benko would have done a great job here at Mississippi State, that would have been the way to go. That would have been the easy way to do things. But uh, Dr. Keenum didn't do that. Dr. Keenum did, in fact – conduct a national search. And so I was told, you know, we, we had the, uh, the feature back on December 8th, kind of making the case for Zach Selman. Mike Nemeth wrote that for us, did a great job for us throughout the search. And then I was told that Selman, uh, I don't know if he withdrew, but something along those lines about maybe this wasn't the right move for him. And then Dr. Keenum, I understand, had some discussions with him. He then remained in the search and ultimately is your hire. We profiled him on the last show. If you haven't watched the press conference, let me encourage you to watch the press conference. Zach Selman, a very impressive individual. You can see why he would have interviewed well. You can see what, what Dr. Keenum saw in him. And a big pedigree when it comes to fundraising. And that's one of the things that at Mississippi State, I think we – we're kind of struggling with a little bit. And that, that's not a shot at anybody else that's working in that capacity. But the reality of it is we got to do a better job. One of the things they teach you in recovery is principles before personalities. I try to practice that in all of my affairs, principles before personalities. And there are times, of course, in personal relationships where that changes, right? There are sometimes you compromise your principles 
because you favor somebody's personality. Uh, but it is a good way to go through business, principles before personalities. And part of that, too, is we can't identify and fix a problem if we're not willing to label an issue. And we are not where we need to be when it comes to uh, fundraising. And so you go out and you get somebody, of course, that uh, specializes in that, that's built a career around that. And um, that's Zach Selman. And I think that's the thing you look at is, okay, we're bringing in somebody outside of our normal bubble, kind of outside the Mississippi State family to address a problem here. Now, that's not to say that some people hadn't done a good job for us, but we need to do a great job, and I submit perhaps an elite job when it comes to fundraising. We are not where we need to be in name, image, and likeness funding. And again, that's not a criticism of Charlie Winfield, but you know the university and the athletic department has to be a willing partner in every aspect of that, as much as they can be, right? There are some NCAA protocols that kind of prohibit schools from being involved in some level. When it comes to NIL, not that, that, you know, there's some people out there, the rules don't apply to them. It doesn't matter how many rules you make, they're going to cheat. It's what makes them cheaters, right? Cheaters don't think the rules apply to them. But I am happy with the hire. I would have been happy with Jared Banco. I am happy with Zach Zellman. And I suggest you should be as well. And I think when you do your research, I think you're going to be pleased with Zach Selman. But the proof is really in the pudding, right? It's not about resumes and it's not about what you have done. It's what you're doing and what you're going to do. You know, what are you doing to make this situation better? And uh, I've got a lot of confidence in Dr. Keenum. And a lot of people say, well, you know, he's never been an AD before. And that, that's a fair criticism. It is, absolutely is. But neither had Greg Byrne, neither had Scott Strickland, and non, neither had John Cohen. And all three of those individuals did a really good job for us. And uh, yeah, a lot of people have their favorites. A lot of people have their, you know, people they don't like as much. And there are some people that have no relationship whatsoever with any of those individuals that have very strong opinions. Uh, and that's not to say they're not entitled. While their opinion may not be rooted in fact, you know, you can't tell people how to feel. That's, that's one of the things in society today. We're so big on feelings rather than facts. It's like, well, this happened. Well, I feel this way. And you still would say, yeah, you're an idiot. That's not what happened. Nowadays, it's like, well, tell me about your feelings. Why do you feel this way? You know, I digress. But uh, I feel that the facts will bear out long term. This is a good hire for Mississippi State. I do. Now, of course, he's never hired a coach. He hadn't. Neither had Greg Byrne. And then Greg Byrne goes out and gets Dan Mullen and gets John Cohen. You know, Greg Byrne did a good job here. Scott Strickland went out and got Vic Schaefer. And so everybody has some things, some hires you look at. You know, John Cohen gets Chris Lamonis, the first ever coach to win an Apple championship at Mississippi State. But, you know, John had some hires, too, a little bit questionable. So did Greg Byrne and so did Scott Strickland. We, we, we kind of get caught up in recency bias, right? When you begin to romanticize some people after they're gone. Oh, he did such a great job here. Then you go back and look, well, they really, they really didn't. You know, sometimes the social media and message board narrative is uh, just one of those things that kind of gets away from people. But... Uh, it's not about who was here. It is about who is here. And so Zach Selman is here. And again, watch the press conference. If you have some time this weekend, maybe carve out a little time and watch the press conference. I think you're going to be really happy with what you've seen so far from Zach Selman. And of course, you know, again, it's all about winning the press conference in many respects. And if it's a position, of course, where that probably matters the most, it's the AD spot. And what I mean by that is this is the same individual that's going to go out and ask you all for money. This is the same person that's going to be out on the uh, the chicken dinner tour 
and kind of explaining to you the direction of Mississippi State Athletics. It's a person that's going to call you at some point and say, hey, we need you to be involved in this. And so you need a great communicator. And that's exactly what Zach Selman is. He is a great communicator. You need people like that in leadership positions. There are some people out there that are great accountants. There are some people out there that are essentially glorified bean counters. They'll do a good job managing your money. I don't know that they can go out there and get you any more money, though. There are other people that are great stewards of the money that maybe are not good fundraisers. And so I, I believe what we have now is a challenge in front of us to find some people to kind of help manage through that process. I think Zach's probably going to have uh, you know some capital giving campaigns that will be announced, and you're going to be asked to be a part of that. But I think the biggest challenge right now for him is to get people hired. You know, we've had some poaching, of course, of our staff, and that's not anything improper about that. You know, people out there have to make a living. And so, hey, you can come here and work two or three years for sure, or you can wait around and see if Zach Selman's going to retain you. I mean, that's always a reasonable concern for people. But uh, we got to get some people hired, and then we've got to get everybody on the same page when it comes to the Bulldog Foundation, the Bulldog Club, and the Bulldog Initiative. You can't consolidate the three. You can't. I know some would say, well, let's just put it all under one umbrella. Well, you can't do that. There are some protocols that kind of uh, prohibit that from happening. But what I think Zach can do is encourage people to be a part of all of that and then allow the leaders of those initiatives to kind of work together, maybe have a new level of communication. That's the real challenge right now because, as, as I've mentioned before, you know, it doesn't appear that Zach is going to have to make a major coaching hire for some time. And so you get some time to kind of get your legs under you a little bit because if we had to go out and hire a football coach today with the NIL situation the way that it is, we're going to have a difficult time doing that. We are. We're going to have a difficult time doing that because it's not just about the paycheck. It's about the ability to procure players and to retain players that help you win football games. That's a real challenge today. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the show. But congratulations, Mississippi State. Congratulations to Zach Selman and his family. Uh, We look forward to them being a part of our family and and having a chance to get to know them and to learn to love them. And uh, I don't know how long he stays. You know, a lot of people worry about that. Well, if he does a good job in two to three years, he may go back to Oklahoma. You know, when uh, when they – the AD there retires. They may take him back. And the way that I look at it is if, uh, if he is in a position to go back and run an athletic department with that prestige and that profile, that means he's done a great job here at Mississippi State. And that's the thing you have to look at life. Is I don't necessarily want to have lifers. I want people that are ambitious. I want people that are going to go out there and get fresh ideas, just like Dr. Keenum did, and bring them back to Mississippi State, just like Scott Strickland did. You know, Scott has worked all over this conference. And you bring some things that you pick up elsewhere here to make Mississippi State a better place. And so it's not about when they leave. It's about what did they do when they were here. And so if Zach is a short-timer, and we've got to really differentiate between our Zachs, I guess we can call Arnett and Selman. Uh, but the reality of it is, is we need people to just do a good job while they're here, no matter how long they are here. And then we can, we can make an adjustment if we need to. A lot of people talk about Red Hobart. I believe at some point Red Hobart will probably be our director of athletics. Is he ready for that position now? Absolutely not. He'll tell you the same. Now he's at Auburn kind of learning some new stuff, doing what he did here, but also kind of handling some ticketing type things over there, kind of doing the Mike Ritchie job as well. And so he's learning and getting some valuable knowledge. And at some point, Rhett will have the opportunity to return home and, and conce- could conceivably be a lifer. But that's not time for that. 
But let's say, you know, Zach Selman stays here five years and does a good job and gets called home to Oklahoma. Then perhaps at that time, Red Hobart is ready to go. But Dr. Keenum owes it to himself and to the university to do a national search. I don't think you can go ahead and get tunnel vision now thinking about Zach Selman's replacement, right? The guy just got here. But if the event unfolds the way that some people suggested it may, you know, I think it gives time for a guy like Rhett to get some seasoning, you know, at Auburn. You know, he's been to Wake Forest for a short time. He's come back. Really short time this run. Now he's at Auburn. And so, you know, there, I hate to say that he's the director of athletics in waiting, but he clearly is, would be a priority target as we kind of push forward in the next few years. But for now, it is the Zach Selman era, and I think it's important for everybody to get behind him, uh, get behind the athletics department, and, and kind of get ready to push through all this stuff. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, I love Bulldog Burger Company. It is a very faithful love affair. I get out of it what I put into it. In fact, I get more than I put into it. I go may, uh, may have a nice meal and I pay for it, but I always get more than I pay for. You can't say that everywhere. And I've traveled this fine country of ours from almost border to border over the course of the last 30 days. And I haven't found a place that serves a better hamburger, that provides me better service, that has such a great atmosphere. It reminds me that I'm home when I'm here at Bulldog Burger Company. So maybe it's time for you to make a trip home back to Starkville and go have dinner or lunch at Bulldog Burger Company. And there are three great locations to serve you. Maybe if you're not in the Starkville area, you can go and have those fine cuisines at uh, Tupelo at Gloucester Street or Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Uh, You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Get a great restaurant quality hamburger. Uh, if, If you don't, Know the menu well. Let me encourage you, start with the Bulldog. Just a good straight-ahead rock-and-roll American hamburger. You can't go wrong there. You may want the fries. I like the onion rings. It's weird. I don't like uncooked onions, but I love onion rings. Uh, Again, it's weird. But I'm a big proponent of dessert to go. Get that chocolate shake to go. You can drink that on the way home or get that bread pudding because a little bit later in the evening, you're going to want a palate cleanser. And what's better than that bread pudding? I'm a bit of a bread pudding connoisseur. I really like the bread pudding at Bulldog Burger Company. Go by today. Treat yourself to some of the fine cuisine available at Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, our top story is the hiring of offensive coordinator Kevin Barbet. And I I admit to you, I did not hear his name mentioned uh, during the search. So tip of the cap to Zach Arnett for kind of keeping that quiet. There were a lot of names out there, of course, that had some involvement with the search. And then we wake up and uh, our national nightmare is over and Zach Harnett has made a great hire. That's one of the things that I will say that we have talked about on the show and on our message boards. I, I have a lot of confidence in Zach Harnett. And when you look at the hires that he's made as your football coach, I think you can be really excited about his decision-making process. There were a lot of people that were very critical at times of the process. But again, like a cake, you know, it's best to let it cook and then see how it goes. And again, here we are. We've made a good hire. I like the hire a lot. Let's take a quick look inside, uh, you know, the Kevin Barbe file here. I think that's important to understand, too, is that this is not just one of these fly-by-night deals. It absolutely is not. Kevin Barbe, uh, he of no hair, that seems to be a growing uh, trend. Uh, I will not be joining that. I've got enough hair for all of us. But, um, but Barbe, a really great, great hire in many respects here. You know, he began his uh, – coaching career he, he played quarterback at Grambling State how about that yeah went to Lamar High School in Nederland Texas uh, got a wife Casey and uh, three children 
Kinsley, Caroline, Carson, all with K's. So all five family members have a K. So they all have the same initials. A little bit of a trivia question there. All right, so he began his coaching career at Monsignor Kelly High School as a wide receivers coach and then got the opportunity to be a GA at Baylor for the 05-06 year. From 07 to 08, he was the quarterbacks and receivers coach at Texas A&M Commerce. Made the move then in 09 to be a grad assistant with tight ends at North Texas. He goes back to the high school ranks from 2010 to 2011 at Warren High School. He is the head football coach and the athletic director. 2012 and 13, he makes a move to Lamar, coaches wide receivers and special teams, then moves up to an off-the-field position at Colorado State in 14 as the director of player personnel. He leaves there and then heads down to Florida for 15 and 17, still off the field as a director of player development. 2018, he returns to the field coaching the quarterbacks in the offense. It was offensive coordinator and play caller at Stephen F. Austin, he gets the opportunity to go to Central Michigan as the assistant head coach and wide receivers coach in 19 and 20, and then went uh, became the OC and quarterbacks coach uh, full-time 2021. Then he makes a move to Appalachian State. So he is a bit of a job hopper in some respects, right? But that's what happens early in your career. You're always looking for the best opportunity to advance your career, uh, to be able to pay uh, for your family. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. And so when guys are getting established, they're going to change jobs regularly. And that was the case. But uh, it's pretty rare to see a guy go from high school to college, back to high school, and then come back off the field. And and maybe it's a situation, too. We don't know his personal life. You know, he's got a young family. Perhaps he felt like, you know what? Well, my kids are small. I don't want to be on the road recruiting. I want to work in college. I want to have an opportunity to work with college football. But so, again, that's a bit speculative there. But uh, we don't really know, you know, kind of his career path. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to kind of sit down with him soon and talk about some of these things. I'm looking forward to that. I am excited about the hire. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right. The Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid. That was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west.
Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. One of the things that I'm excited about, number one, is a little more balance. I love the air raid. But the air raid has evolved a little bit, and we didn't always change with it. And you know, we were kind of beginning to trend in that direction, right? But um, a lot more balance. Appalachian State for the 2022 football season was the number 26 total offense in the country, pulling down 455.3 yards per game, just half a yard away from the top 25 behind Houston. And so just kind of looking around them, right, looking around statistically, number 24 was Michigan they were in the playoffs. Of course, Houston with a big year this year. Dana Holgerson, that crew doing a good job. Number 27, just, just behind App State, was TCU, who played for an AFL championship. And then shortly behind them was LSU, who won the SEC West. And so when you look at that type of offensive production, you say, you know what? If we could pair that with our defense, have a really good football team. Absolutely. And again, you got to think it's his first year there. So his first year there he shows up and makes Appalachian State one of the top offenses in the country. So 833 plays called. And you look at some of the other people around you there, uh, maybe not running plays with the same proficiency at some of their contemporaries, but they did amass 5,464 yards, averaging 6.56 uh, you know, yards per play and 55 touchdowns. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like scoring. I, I do. I, I like scoring. I do. And um, – you start looking at these numbers here, you know, App State 55 touchdowns on the year. Uh, that's not among the nation's leaders, but it's not too far behind them. Uh, Tennessee led the country with 78 touchdowns, kind of a gaudy number there. Of course, Georgia played more games than anybody in the country not named TCU, and they scored 75. But when you get a little bit deeper in there, you know, maybe around the top 10 there, you've got people basically in the low 60s. So he's not too far off from that. So uh, you're putting some good things together. Let's take a look at scoring offense here, too, just to kind of see how they stacked up. And, of course, you know, we had some good moments at times offensively this year, but we lacked consistency. That was the thing that I think everybody really kind of struggled with. As you know, yeah, we, we were explosive at time between the 20s, and we're pretty good in the red zone. But, we, you know, there were some games, too, especially against above average to elite defenses, we really struggled. But Appalachian State, 23rd in the country in scoring, averaging 34.9 points a game. And, again, looking at the people around them, so here's some of the teams they outscored. They outscored LSU. They outscored Texas, North Carolina, Texas Tech, Ole Miss, Clemson, uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Baylor, South Carolina, and, of course, Mississippi State at 43rd. I hate to say, of course, Mississippi State, but 
to kind of frame things up there. You know, we, we took a step forward offensively this year, but again, it's year three under Mike Leach, but in year one with Kevin Barbe at Appalachian State, they're a top 25 scoring offense. That makes you feel pretty good about things. It does for me, anyway. I don't know how you look at it, uh, but I, I like the move, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. But um, I think one of the main things is, you know, listen, we have been around a few 24 hours, me and you. And as fun as it is to see the football flying around the field, and it is, you've got to be able to run the football. That's the name of the game. At the end of the day, football is a game of attrition. You've got to be able to blow somebody off the line and run the football. I'm not saying you got to go run a triple option, but it's going to be nice for us to have perhaps a little more balance uh, this year as we kind of move forward. A passing offense for App State, they were 48th in the country, 250 yards per game. Of course, Mississippi State 10th in the country in passing offense. But when you begin to factor in the running game, you know, we don't even register on the curve. But App State did. A lot more balance there. And I think that's kind of what we need in order to kind of put some things together to keep defenses honest. You've got to be able to take what they give you. App State 21st in the country in running offense. So 204. So so it's not just a one-trick pony. And that's kind of the, the point that I'm making here is I think Barbe will make us a better offense in many respects because of the fact that he will be able, I believe, to take advantage of what the defense is showing him. They're going to get you in some looks. They are going to run some tight end sets. We don't have any tight ends. Perhaps Antonio Harmon can bulk into one, but there's not enough of those guys. So that's a real challenge kind of moving forward. Perhaps we go get in the portal when you find some guys, maybe an H-back type deal rather than, uh, you know, two, maybe not a lot of 12 personnel. Maybe that's not really the case, but uh, we're definitely not going to run a ton of 10 personnel anymore. But I like the hire. I think you should like the hire too. But I think this is a situation too when you look at, I think Kevin Barbe was basically in a situation where he was looking for the right opportunity. And if you look at the natural progression of his career, I guess he was at Central Michigan three years uh, before he made the move to App State. Yeah, this is a destination type job in many respects for a guy like him because I believe he can come in here and perhaps put himself in a position to be perhaps a G5 head coach at some point. And if he's gone in three years, I, I think that means he's done a good job because if you look, if you look at the numbers here with him, uh, the fact that he's able to go in there year one at App State and make them you know, a very prolific offense, I think really bodes well for us. So very excited about the hire. Uh, and, again, it kind of comes out of left field for me. And, and I, I'm a guy, too. It's like, you know, we had like ten things we were working on. We get nine out of the ten right and you miss the one, that's the one you focus on. And, of course, that's the one your critics focus on, too. Uh, and that's life. You know, I mean, I've got pretty thick skin when it comes to that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, sometimes that's how it is. I mean, you're out here hunting. One day you get the chicken, the next day feathers. But what's left now is Mississippi State has to fill the running back spot. Now, what we're hearing, to borrow a phrase from myself, is that Tony Hughes will cross over and coach a tight ends. Now, that's not definite yet. Hadn't been officially announced because we're being told Matt Dewhurst will be the safeties coach. Uh, that's a guy that Arnett knows well. He's uh, worked off the field at Mississippi State. And Hughes, of course, coached tight ends at both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And Tony's just a football coach, right? That's the thing. Having a guy like Tony who is an elite recruiter, and he's a guy, too, that everybody in Mississippi knows, you know, maybe outside of coaching the offensive line. And I imagine if you told Tony that he needed to do it, he could figure out a way to do it. But Tony's kind of a plug-and-play guy. He's got a lot of versatility. If you need him to coach a different spot, he can. Uh, he's very good, inspiring, and motivating young people. 
So there's that's the talk now is that he will flip over. We do expect him to coach tight ends. Then there's the running back spot. Now, Jason Washington is on the road recruiting for Mississippi State. Of course, he's still under contract. And I'm told as late as yesterday morning, there has not been a firm decision about what we're going to do uh, at the running back's position. I would like to see Jason Washington retained, and that's not a criticism of anybody else. I think Jason has been a great portal recruiter for us, maybe not so much from the high school ranks. He's done a good job there, but really done a better job in the portal. You know, he gets you Marcus Banks. He gets you Jalen Green. Uh, and Jason, too, I think really fits here at Mississippi State. I mean, a great guy for sure, one of the best guys. And a guy that is very good in the living room. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't know that Woody Marks is here. I don't know Woody Marks withdraws from the portal if it's not for Jason Washington. And so I would like to see him have the opportunity to stay. Of course, it's not my decision, and I'm going to support whoever we uh, we do put in there. But I understand that you know, Arnett and Barbe and Washington will, will talk here in the next few days, and a, and a firm decision will be made because uh, you never know who Barbe may know. Barbe may have a guy out there that, that fits what he wants to do. But, you know, I, I, I'll support that too. But if I had my druthers, not knowing what the other options are, I'd like Jason Washington to stay. Uh, not because he's a good, just a good person, a good football coach. I just think it's a good fit. I think he fits here culturally. And uh, I know that our players really like him. He really coaches them to a level of accountability, but he's not a tyrant. And I think when you look at that running backs group, when you look at all we've gone through, of course, you had some guys go in the portal and we lose Dylan Johnson to Washington. But you get Woody Marks back and Simeon Price, I think, is just really beginning to realize his potential. You don't want to see that development arrested, right? You'd like to see the natural progression of these players. And I think Woody Marks really benefits from this change in philosophy. I think he's a guy now, instead of hoping to get 10 carries a game, could probably get 20 or more. I think he could be kind of your featured back. And then Simeon Price, of course, could be a good compliment back and then perhaps be your starter a year from now. But uh, we've got to make some recruiting adjustments, obviously making this change in philosophy. And, and the thing that we heard early on is that we wanted to be a little more balanced, but we're still going to practice some principles of the air raid. You know, we'll see. We'll see if that's the case or not. And, uh, again, I look at our quarterback's room, and it is very, very concerning. You know, obviously you've got Chris Parson coming in, who I think is the future of our program. I think he fits exactly what they want to do offensively. Yeah, but we got to get through this year. And uh, Will Rogers, of course, uh, has been an air raid disciple. This will be a different deal for him. And listen, I've heard some of the smoke too. You know, for for basically a week now, I've heard that there's some schools that have uh, expressed some interest through some third parties. That hey, you know, Will, there's a change in philosophy. If you want to get in the portal, perhaps we may have an opportunity for you. And I don't know that they've dealt directly with Will, but I've heard the rumors too, just like everybody else. And I believe we've got that handled. But what we're learning is you just never know. <laughs> You simply never know when somebody's circumstances are going to change, and then we're all kind of left to deal with the fallout, right? Uh, and that's the thing. I, I've read some some message board posts, and everybody's like, you know what? You just can't afford to have any heroes anymore because as soon as you grow attached to somebody, they're gone. And I'm not in any way suggesting Will's going to leave. Uh, you know, he may, right? I mean, again, I, I don't know that you can take anything, uh, for, you know, uh, for granted right now or even at face value from anybody you just never know you just kind of got to wait for the the window to close and then you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief for at least another semester because the ncaa transfer portal window is about to close and so you know we'll see what happens but um there's people out there that are relentless they're always trying to find a way to exploit the situation and in, in some situations exploit these student athletes for their own for their own you know gain but we'll see how things go. But, uh, again, I think Kevin Barbet, 
a good hire. Needs to sit down with some people and kind of settle the offense and kind of let people know what he's about, how he plans to use them. And I'll, I'll share with you this, too. It doesn't seem like we've had a slow news day since a week of the golden egg, right? I mean, it just seems that way that every single day there is something new to report, and not all of it is good. You know, it's been a very up-and-down stretch for Mississippi State fans. It's never boring, but I don't ever remember, you know, a stretch quite like this, you know, basically for really two months now. You know, that we've had something – there's always been something in the background. You know, even you go back even prior to the battle for the Golden Egg Week. I mean, there were a lot of people who were concerned about Mike Leach's health then. They were a little bit off base in, in their diagnosis. But their concern, obviously, was uh, was was warranted. And so we've dealt with all that, and people are like, oh, you know, well, Mike Leach will be fired if he lose the Egg Bowl. That wasn't going to be the case if we did lose it, but we win it, and all of a sudden there's this big sigh of relief, and then we get a great bowl opportunity – and then, of course, we have Mike's untimely passing. And it's just, you know, it's like we have had something going on. And I think Mississippi State fans are just ready to take a to take a deep breath and be able to exhale and say, you know what, hey, I'm enjoying this. It has been a wild ride in every aspect. And I, and I can promise you the, the people on campus, you know, people in the SEAL complex and the Bryan building, they're feeling it too, you know, because it's like we've had all this AD stuff. And now my hope is now with uh, Zach Selman hired – and then, of course, in the, in the coming days, we'll have the football staff kind of solidified. The things will slow down a little bit. The NCAA portal window will close. You know, we've got some visitors on campus now. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. And then maybe, maybe then we can all kindly exhale and say, okay, now we're good for a little while. Hopefully that will be the case because it has been just one thing after another. It's just like, you know, the jubilation of finally having the OC hire complete the jubilation of knowing who your director of athletics is going to be. And the next thing you know, Tulu Griffin's in the portal, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit later too. But it's like we can never seem – we can't seem to put together a solid week where everything is good. And that's not just us. You're just more acutely aware of it because Mississippi State is a team that you love and you respect and you want things to go well for. And it's like – and you begin to think, man, it only happens to us. It doesn't only happen to us. But we wish it didn't happen to us either. We don't want to see, well, it happens to everybody. Well, we'd love to be able to say that didn't happen at Mississippi State. You know, you look at Georgia. Georgia wins back-to-back NFL championships. They signed one kid out of the portal last year. One. That's it. It's pretty crazy. So it doesn't happen to everybody. It happens to most. But uh, we'd love to be able to be the exception rather than a rule. And I know every one of you, it's like, you know what, Steve, I just – people say, Steve, I just – I need to check out for a while. I'm so emotionally invested in all this, and I'm constantly checking the message boards and constantly checking social media. It's become an obsession, and trust me, I get it. I do. It's because we want Mississippi State to be successful. That's what we all want, and you get so invested, and you're like, I want to make sure we make the right hire, and it's like you go through this process, and it's like, oh, we got a hire bump. We got a hire bump. We do. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, well, we we need to go out and uh, hire David Turner. We got to get DT. You know, DT is not being retained at Georgia Tech. What does that mean? Oh, we get. Oh, yay! And it's like, oh, we got to go get an offensive line coach. And a lot of people like me. I, I love Mason Miller. I do. Thought Mason did a really good job for us, especially once you got through the COVID year. Thought he was a good recruiter for us. Thought he was a good developer of talent. He fit us. I didn't want to see him leave, but they get Will Friend, and that's a guy that we've wanted to hire basically for the last dozen years or so. And so you're like, yeah. And so all of a sudden you get on board thinking, hey, Arnett is figuring out this HR process. He's doing a great job identifying candidates. And I've seen some people say, well, you know, we would have hired DT and Chad Bumpus no matter who the coach was. That may be true. 
That may be true. But Arnett did it, right? He, he could have just said, you know what? I'm not on board with this. I'm going to go get somebody else. But instead, we go get guys that are very familiar with our state, guys that love Mississippi State, guys that do a great job for us. And uh, I think, again that, that, again, that works in concert with Zach's comments on signing day about being committed to recruiting Mississippi. And, I, and as much as I enjoyed Mike Leach, I don't know that that was really the case. I don't know that we were as committed to Mississippi perhaps as we should have been. There were some people involved in that process that I don't think sometimes maybe fully appreciated where they were and what's worked at Mississippi State. It's like, well, hey, let's go get this kid from Georgia and there's a kid from Mississippi of equal value or equal talent just down the road. And so we go take this kid from Georgia. Next thing you know, he comes in and he can't play. He's in the portal. You know, so now you've wasted a scholarship money and a couple of years of eligibility for a kid. It's never going to play here. And I think sometimes we try to outsmart ourselves and we start thinking, hey, well, we're going to get this kid. I'm not going to mention any names. But there were some players over the course of the last three years that we've signed and recruited or targeted and offered. I go up and pull up their video and I'm like, what are we thinking? What am I missing here? Surely there's got to be better film than this. And you go watch a film. And I've called a couple people. I'm like, I don't understand. Why is Mississippi State taking this kid? And then all, all of a sudden they get here and they get in the weight program. And then next thing you know, you look out there at practice one day and they're running with the bandit defense. And you're like, well, we should have known. You know, we're not that smart, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like it's one thing you may hit on one or two. You can take a chance on one or two kids. But when you go sign five or six of those kids that are similarly situated, then they all leave. That tells you your evaluation process not nearly as good. Because I don't care how good you are at developing players, if you don't have a guy that has some natural ability or has college SEC level size, doesn't matter how good a developer you are if they don't have enough to develop. And I think that's kind of where we were. And I think getting guys like David Turner and Bumpus in will remedy a lot of that. Because I think we'll say, you know what, hey, it's Mississippi first. I, I would rather go get that kid you know, from Picayune than go get that kid from Alpharetta, Georgia. Right, That kid from Picayune knows what it means, what the golden egg means in Mississippi. They know what it means to represent Mississippi. You know, We've had some real success with some kids from other states at times, and probably on the baseball side more so than the football side. But my point being is that if we have two kids of equal or comparable ability, you take the Mississippi kid first. You just do. That kid's not going to get homesick and leave. Just not. And that's the thing. I think nowadays this transfer portal impacts the way you recruit. I think you have to consider those aspects of it. What's going to happen if this kid is a two-deeper for three years of his career? You know, yeah, he's going to play a little bit, but you know, he may decide, you know what, if I go out there to Mississippi, well, if I'm going to be a two-deeper, then I'll just assume I come back home and go play for Georgia Southern or Georgia State or whatever. You have to consider that nowadays. I mean, you hate to go into any situation looking at an exit strategy. But nowadays, you don't have a lot of these kids who are going to come in here and stay for four or five years. They're just not. Everybody's going to be looking for the easier, softer way and the bigger and better deal. And so I think you have to consider that element when you do your evaluation. Just my opinion. All right, time for today's top 10 list. Brought to you, as always, by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler is my friend, your friend. He is your friend in the mortgage industry. Many of you have mortgage needs and may not realize it. Maybe you need to refinance. Maybe you need to get into a mortgage. Maybe you've been a renter your whole life. And maybe you think, well, you know, Steve, that's just what we're going to do. 
Maybe that's best for you. But long term, wouldn't it be great to have a home to be able to pass down to your children? Instead of having to move every couple of years, you got a place, you can plant some roots. That's a dream that everybody's had at one point. And so Blair Chandler can help those dreams become a reality. Give him a call today at 601-500-2344. You can text him because that's his personal cell number. You're not going to have to go through a receptionist. You're not going to have to go through some uh, you know, call center. You can go directly to Blair. Get more information from Blair about Blair at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And mention to him that you heard about him on the barnyard, and he will pay for your home's appraisal. It's about a $500 value. A lot of people competing for your business. Blair's willing to prove it, putting some money where his mouth is, but paying for that appraisal. A lot of fees associated with getting a loan closed. He's willing to kind of lighten the load a little bit just for doing business with him. Again, that's closedblair.com. Okay, so we talked about this on Wednesday. We're doing the Jeff Beck list today. Now, a lot of people like, I know who Jeff Beck is, but I don't know a lot of songs, and you probably do. There are a lot of people that say, I'm supposed to like Jeff Beck. But what are his big songs? Because Jeff Beck was one of these guys, too. Jeff was a musician's musicians. He worked with everybody. He worked with Jimmy Page. He worked with Eric Clapton. Uh, he worked with John Paul Jones. He worked with uh, Ron Wood and Rod Stewart. I mean, some of the legends of music. Jeff's done studio work for so many people. He's done features with so many different acts. And, of course, there was uh, you know Beck's Guitar Shop and you know, a lot of his better stuff is instrumental stuff. And the thing that we talk about on the show at times about music, when you talk about guitars, there's tone, there's nuance, there's feel. Jeff Beck had every bit of that. And so we're going to waive our prohibition on covers today because I think some of the best songs, and we didn't do uh, Superstition, or I Ain't Superstition. We didn't do that, but you can find those yourself. If you like blues, at the end of the day, Jeff Beck is a blues player. Absolutely is. But... uh he replaced Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds. And you say, Steve, who are the Yardbirds? Well, I'm from the 1900s, and the Yardbirds even predated me. But bands like Aerosmith, bands like Led Zeppelin, people like that were kind of influenced, even though the Yardbirds were a bit of their contemporary. You know, Jimmy Page, of course, recommended Jeff Beck to the Yardbirds. When they approached him about taking over, he recommended Beck. That's pretty high praise there. Okay, you replace Eric Clapton based on Jimmy Page's recommendation. How many people could say that in their career? Well, one is Jeff Beck. So here we go, our top 10 Jeff Beck songs. Now, number 10, many people believe this is the best Yardbird song. I could make that argument. I would have had it higher on the list, but I wanted to open the list with this, if that makes sense. So this is not the 10th best song, but it's your number 10 on your list. It's probably a top five song, top three song. And it's not just because of the song itself. There are some things, some advancements in guitar that happened on this song that were kind of unheard of at the time. And this is back in 67. And so there is this incredible tone that Jeff uses on this great song, Heart Full of Soul from the Yardbirds. But the solo was unlike anything that had ever been heard before. Jeff Beck, a huge Jimi Hendrix fan, and loved Jimmy's use of distortion and how you could kind of manipulate the sound of a guitar by using the pedal and things like that. And, and you know, we, we could talk about Jimi Hendrix all day. But Jeff was absolutely intrigued and mesmerized by the way that Hendrix 
did different things to get these crazy sounds out of guitars. And so you have this incredible soulful solo on this song that really introduced kind of, I don't know if they were using a muff pedal, but that's kind of like the infancy of that. Like you hear this distortion that really elevates the solo and then everybody wanted to replicate that. And so Jeff Beck, really a groundbreaking sound engineer in many respects as a guitarist. Number nine, a great song is uh, You Shook Me. And um, the vocals on that are great. They're not Jeff's. But this is one, too, kind of a blue standard in many respects. Number eight, one of the songs that a lot of you know fans know, it's Freeway Jam. And you've heard the song. You may not know the name of the song or who performed it, but Freeway Jam, as soon as you hear this, thing, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. It's been in some commercials. Number seven, he won a Grammy for this, uh, and it's a few years ago. This is a guy whose career that began in England, uh, you know, goodness, what, 60 years ago? It's crazy to think about that. I mean, he's a teenager. Jeff Beck was already, you know, making things happen over in England and ended up joins the established band, the Yardbirds. But uh, won a Grammy for Dirty Mind as uh, Best Rock Instrumental. Number six, one of the more recent songs, probably the last radio release single that we'll ever hear involving Jeff Beck. And it's from the latest Ozzy Osbourne album. It's Patient Number Nine. The title track, Patient Number Nine, features Jeff Beck. It's a great track. I love Jeff Beck's work on this. Uh, you know, I'll tell you this too. I remember years ago, Jeff Beck was uh, going to perform with Guns N' Roses. And uh, if I remember correct, correctly, they were going to do Locomotive. And during rehearsals for the song, uh, Jeff, who already had hearing issues, had the situation aggravated uh, during rehearsals due to the drums. There was just something that happened there, and then they weren't able to perform. And so I remember MTV had like some footage of them rehearsing, and that's all we ever got to see of Jeff back and guns together. But uh, it's good to see Jeff do something with Ozzy, also another English uh, rock superstar. Number five, it's a cover of the Stevie Wonder amazing song. If you're unfamiliar with the original, I'd encourage you to go listen to that and then listen to Jeff Beck's instrumental version of the song because we've ended as lovers. You talk about a guy that's basically bleeding his heart onto his guitar strings. This song really kind of personifies that. Number four, you may not know this, but the great Rod Stewart, Sir Rod Stewart, was the lead singer of the Jeff Beck group. Uh, That's right. And they had a big hit with a, the, a cover of Curtis Mayfield's People Get Ready. I think the vocal is great. I think the guitar is great. And it's kind of a laid-back, chill song. But again, we're waving our prohibition on covers, so I really wanted to get that one in here. Number three, this song was, I don't know who originally recorded this, but the Yardbirds made it a classic. They changed it. You know, it was kind of a blues standard. There were a lot of people that played this song, and I don't even know if we truly know the origins or the genesis of this great song, but it's Train Kept a Rolling by the Yardbirds. Aerosmith covered it. Everybody at some point has played this. Uh, but again, this goes back really to the Delta Blues players. And then the Yardbirds made it a hit, completely changed the song. It's true in the blues sense, but because of the fact it was amplified and played through electric guitars, it took on a life of its own. A absolutely legendary song in rock music. Number two, this is from the Jeff Beck group too. Originally, this was recorded with Jeff on vocals. And if I remember correctly, this is the first actual recording of Jeff singing and playing. 
and eventually they re-recorded it with um, the Jeff Beck group and Rod Stewart saying, but uh, it's hi-ho silver lining. And it's got that late 60s, early 70s feel to it. If you don't know it, I think you will. But the, the number one song, and probably one of the most talented ensembles to ever get together that weren't an actual group. It's uh, Beck's Bolero. And uh, if memory serves me correct, you've got Jimmy Page playing the 12 string. John Paul Jones is on this. Ron Wood, I think, was on this. I know Ron Wood was in the, in the group. And uh, uh, Keith Moon maybe was on this. But anyway, it's, like, it's a super group. And again, I think it just goes to show you the respect that some of the most legendary musicians in rock had for Jeff Beck, that at some point he worked with everybody. I mean, everybody tried to hire this guy, even the Rolling Stones. Pink Floyd. Everybody wanted Jeff Beck to be their lead guitarist. And part of the problem is Jeff, you know, Jeff was just not very reliable. As talented as he was, he was a bit of a tortured soul. And sadly, we lost him to bacterial meningitis. How crazy is that? They said all of a sudden he was good one day and he wasn't feeling good. And like a week later, he's dead. It's amazing to think about that. But again, Jeff Beck, one of the most legendary guitar players. And many of you have heard the name, but maybe didn't equate him with songs. I encourage you familiarize yourself with Jeff Beck, especially if you're, if you're a guitar player. Chances are you already know Jeff Beck, but there are a lot of people that love rock music that maybe have heard the name Jeff Beck over the years and maybe didn't have a real reference. Maybe you didn't do the research, so we did it for you. But uh, some great ones, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not married to this list. This was a difficult list to put together. And I know somebody's going to message me and say, Steve, you screwed up, you missed this when you missed out, and I'm not going to argue because when you've had the career that Jeff Beck has had, a guy that's done it at a high level for so long. You know, there are a lot of people that can come up with one or two riffs and then they become a nostalgia act and they just kind of ride the wave of that their entire career. That wasn't back. Kind of as evidenced by the fact that he won a Grammy just a couple years ago with a brand new track. You know, with that number, your number seven song, Dirty Mind. It's like, you know, he was part of the 60s psychedelic movement and he's winning Grammys in this decade. What does that say, man? What a special musician, and what a loss for the music world. And I know Mick Mars from Guns N' Roses, uh, excuse me, Mick Mars from Motley Crue, I almost had to re-record the whole show just for making that mistake. Uh, my point being is that Jeff Beck was Mick Mars' primary influence. His primary influence to pick up the guitar in the first place was Jeff Beck. And there are a lot of people, Joe Perry being one that uh, really pays tribute to the great Jeff Beck, who we have now lost. And so uh, Godspeed to Jeff Beck and uh, thoughts and prayers to his families and everybody loved his music. And we're, we're always happy to, uh, you know, when we lose artists like this, to kind of uh, commemorate them and celebrate their work. And uh, another note that I wrote down that maybe you missed, but um, you guys, I, I can guarantee you one song you know, one song for sure that you know. For those of you that are fans of Young Guns too. Our fans of John Bon Jovi, the band Bon Jovi. Jeff Beck played the guitar solo on Blaze of Glory. That's right. You didn't know that? Yeah, John and Jeff Beck worked together. And again, Jeff was one of the most sought-after musicians in the world. And so, yeah, you've heard Jeff Beck. And maybe you hadn't fully appreciated Jeff Beck, and now that he's gone, you know, it's sad, right? But maybe perhaps we can see maybe, you know, a renaissance of sorts of people kind of get back into Jeff Beck's music and say, you know what? This guy was as respected as he was in the musical community. You know, maybe by and large, a lot, of, a lot of fans around the world didn't fully appreciate his contributions to rock music. So uh, maybe we can help with that. Uh, I had breakfast with Roy today. That's one thing about doing the Saturday show. Roy was in town 
uh, took his wife to the uh, women's baseball clinic. My wife, unfortunately, is still in New Mexico, and she's really bummed about not being able to go to that women's clinic. And so maybe next year she can go. Uh, when I first told her they were doing it, she was so excited. We looked at the dates and said, hey, not going to work out. Uh, but, yeah, Roy and I had breakfast today. Uh, he paid, thankfully. I appreciate that. I take that back. Somebody else paid for me. Uh, Roy goes up to pay and says, hey, and I believe it was my friend Pam Minyard. And so, Pam, I know you're a Boneyard listener. And so thank you for paying for breakfast. Had I known you were paying, I wouldn't have eaten so big. Uh, but, th- but anyway, thanks for that. But uh, Roy's in town, so we had a chance to kind of catch up. And uh, if you have ideas for the top ten list, find Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. And you can find our great list on Spotify also at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7 uh, because that's Roy's birth year. He was born in 67. So he is much, much, much older than me. Much, much older than me. No, seriously, just five years. But I uh, appreciate Roy's friendship. It's always good when we get a chance to get together and, uh, and get some things. You know, just kind of visit a little while. It's, it's, it's the best thing about having friends. You know, it's like sometimes you don't see each other for a while, but when you do, it's just like you're glad you did. And I was glad to have a chance to visit some with Roy and uh, hope that you guys get a chance to go have some, uh, some breakfast with your dudes or ladies, right? Thanks so much for your support of the top ten list. And as always, thanks to uh, Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I encourage you to go see them. I was there a couple of days ago, had a chance to roll in there, get some Mike Leach uh, sweatshirt gear, be uh, carrying some of that out to Mexico with me. But uh, the, the, the quantities are limited. The victory shirts from the bowl game, if you have been reluctant to get those, you need to act today. I encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. Of course, if you live... Within the uh, reasonable proximity of Starkville, roll in there and see their smiling faces. Great service, great selection. Uh, you'll be glad you did. The bowl shop completely renovated everything upstairs now. But uh, it's easy to go in there and spend some money, man. I got so much good stuff in there. And you know how it is when you when you start looking at Mississippi State merch, it's difficult to make a decision. Just buy it all. Visit them today on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by using the promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, that gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. I will tell you this, too. They're not, now, that doesn't count a truckload of stuff now. I'm going to be reasonable about that. You know, we have, uh, they'll give you a discount. But uh, they told me last week they had an order. It was pretty substantial. And so they had to, to call the customer. And they still credited them uh, for the, uh, the shipping fee. But, um, just be mindful of that, too. I mean, you're not going to be able to get a house full of stuff uh, shipped for free. But uh, pretty rare to see that happen. But uh, appreciate your patronage at Campus Bookmart. Be sure and check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Campusbookmart.net. Promo code BSR. All right. A lot of people are up in arms right now. Tulu Griffin enters his name into the NCAA transfer portal. The first thing that I'll tell you is Tulu Griffin uh, really needs no introduction. You guys are well aware of his exploits on the field. He is a tremendous football player. He's very talented. He is a difference maker for Mississippi State. And I believe in many respects has kind of been underutilized in Mississippi State. And maybe that leads to part of his decision. And maybe he wants to be the featured guy. But, uh, you know, he did a great job during the, the holidays, kind of recruiting Xavion Thomas back. And so, yeah, it's a surprise. And people were disappointed. And uh, I'll tell you this. I have read some of the social media commentary, and I'm embarrassed by that, to be honest with you. It's embarrassing as a fan base for our, our fans to go at, at players, not to mention Tula Griffin may decide tomorrow, you know what, hey, I want to stay. I mean, I don't expect that. But, um, you know, that doesn't help the cause when people are out there being disrespectful to players. 
you know, I don't know what everybody's dealing with, nor do you, and it's not good to make that assumption. Now, one thing that I'll tell you, my attitude has always been, I don't want anybody here from the custodian to the coaching staff that doesn't want to be here. I don't want anybody doing us any favors. And so if somebody thinks they can find something better somewhere else, then go do it. I, I disagree. You know, I think once you make a commitment to somebody, you should see it through uh, in many respects. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get on here and talk negatively about Tulu Griffin. I think Tulu Griffin, number one, is a fantastic football player and a good young man. You know, I don't know who's involved with him. I don't know his decision-making process. Uh, I don't know what his um, reasoning is behind his decision, but at, at the end of the day, it's his decision. It's his life. It's his future. And yes, I'm disappointed. Absolutely disappointed. I, I saw some comments on Twitter that were very, very disappointing. Very disappointing. Now, of course, you see the Ole Miss people out there, uh, you know, celebrating our people hitting the portal and, and kind of ignoring theirs. But, uh, you know, that's part of the rivalry. Right. And then people try to pull me into this sort of thing. And the reality of it is, is that uh, I'm never butthurt, as somebody suggested, over a player leaving. Just I got more important things to do in my life to worry about one player, you know, or even a few players to go get in the portal. Now, we knew that there would be other people getting the portal after the bowl game. They have. Some of them have already found decisions, found destinations. And uh, we wish them the best. You get a short time in life to play sports. We had some quarterbacks, of course, that were down the depth chart, and chances of them starting here were pretty slim, at least next year. And you got to think it's another year of eligibility I'm investing into an opportunity that's probably not going to come to fruition for a while. And so, again, you got to make a decision. You know, there are a lot of people out there that um, are competitive, but maybe not ultra-competitive, but say, you know what, at least I'm getting my school paid for. I'll figure it out. I don't want those guys on a team either. I want every player on our team to be good teammates, but I want every one of them to be competing at a high level and saying, you know what, I should be playing. I'm going to get out here and work hard. I'm going to outwork the guy in front of me, and I'm going to go take that spot. That's how teamwork works. I can respect the fact that you win a job, but I'm not going to make it easy on you. I'm not going to quit. Every single practice, I'm going to be out there trying to outdo you. I'm going to try to take your spot. doesn't mean that I don't like you. It's just that I'm competitive and I want to play. And so I'm not the kind of guy that's going to just turn, turn tail and run. That's just not me. There are other people out there, of course, that um, are trying to use NIL opportunities or perhaps just outright just pay players to go to their school. That hadn't changed. A lot of people say, well, now everything is legal. Well, no, it's not. Everything is not legal. I know some people would love for it to be, but that's just not the case. And so there are some people out there that choose to exploit these situations. We're well aware of some of those people. And people say, but, you know, Steve, you sent this tweet out. That's true. And after that happened, I delivered my findings to Mississippi State officials because them getting the situation remedied is more important than me writing an article, right? Not to mention a lot of these people that are involved don't want their names known publicly. At the end of the day, it's about finding the information. I'd love to be able to write that story and expose people, but there's a, there's a way to go about things. And we're not going to win these wars on Twitter, right? I mean, that's, there are so many people that get out there and they think, oh, well, you know, let's just argue back and forth. You're not going to get anything done. You're not going to stop anything on Twitter. Doesn't happen. I got to do a better job of that too. I got to I got to stop responding to trolls. You know, every so often I've done a pretty good job of that the last couple of years. But every so often, somebody will kind of get under my skin a little bit, and I'll feel the need to respond. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I try to be above that sort of things. There are some people out there that think they can say whatever they want to you about you, and you're not supposed to respond. And then when you do, you look like you're the bad guy. I got no problem wearing a black hat, as I have proven literally and figuratively 
you know, when uh, when there's issues out there, if we're, if we're going to get in a battle of wills or battle of petty, I'm going to win that every single time. Call it a character defect if you want to. But uh, I do my best to try to not engage that sort of stuff. But uh, the bottom line is, is that um, in the event we have some more people leave and we will have some more people leave post-spring. We will have more people leave post-spring. I ran the numbers a while back for you and showed you that State actually is doing extremely well compared to their SEC peers when it comes to the NCAA transfer portal. I won't run through the whole thing here, but let me give you just to kind of give you a brief update on some of this stuff, just, just so you know, because that's what happens. People think it's only happening to us, and then I'll, as soon as somebody hits a portal, I get immediately get about 20 messages from people that want me to make them feel better about the situation. It's really not my gig, right? All right, so here are our portal updates in recent weeks, okay? Now, we can start basically with the end of the regular season, right? Let's just kind of jump right into that. All right, so Reed Baez leaves us and now has an opportunity at South Alabama. And you know what? Congratulations to Reed, a great young man from a great family. Matter of fact, last time we spoke about him, his dad – just to kind of illustrate what a great guy Mark is, he hit me up and thanked me for the kind words. And and it's not idle praise. I think a lot of read buys. You know, perhaps he's not an SEC player. I think he'll be a heck of a G5 player. I think he'll do a great job at South Alabama. So in this situation, that is an NCAA transfer portal success story. You have a guy here that's working hard, and maybe he has hit his ceiling on the depth chart, and he's only got a little time left. He came in here. His dream was to play at Mississippi State. He did. And now with the rest of his eligibility, he's like, I want to get on the field and play somewhere. So he goes South Alabama. He's got an opportunity to play. And, again, we wish him the best. Archer Trafford then hits a portal. Daniel Greek, you know, a guy pretty much early on that we expected, you know, to kind of – he signed on as, uh, in a two-quarterback class, and we didn't think that he would be able to, uh, to catch Sawyer Robertson. And then he leaves, and now he's headed to Tarleton State. And – Best of luck to Daniel. Same situation. He came in here. He competed. He gave his best effort. It didn't work out. Now he's going somewhere he can play. So nobody's upset with Daniel Greek. Christian Ford, Scooby Ford, comes in, earns a scholarship, and then he leaves. He's headed to Appalachian State, you know. And, you know, I, I don't know his circumstance, but, uh, you know, I, I like Scooby Ford. I do. He's probably not an SEC player, though. And, and I don't say that it is a criticism, but I don't think he was ever going to be a difference maker for us. Was he a good piece for us as a good reserve? Absolutely was. But he probably has a better chance to get more playing time at Appalachian State. Ra Ra, of course, leaves us, and now he's headed to two-time NAFL champion Georgia. You know, you hate that you're losing him because he's so talented. I think the guy's a rising star in the SEC, and now he'll do it at Georgia. I mean, we hate it. We absolutely hate it. But at the end of the day, you know, he didn't end up going to Ole Miss. We're not going to see Georgia the rest of his career, so we don't have to play against him. But can we replace him with a player of comparable ability? I'd say probably not. Bull Hargrove leaves. You know, he tried to leave before. Portal was closed, and now he's headed to Memphis. I think he'll do a good job up there. I think he would have done a good job here. He had difficulty picking up the rest of the offense. You know, that was the thing with him. He was a ball carrier first, and the rest of it he kind of struggled with. You almost wonder now if Bull Hargrove hadn't stayed, perhaps with this, this shift in, in offensive philosophy, that he wouldn't have benefited from Kevin Barbe being hired. But now he's headed to Memphis. And, again, we'll wish him the best. Gabe Cavazos, a guy that I was really high on out of Lake Cormorant High School. You remember he got here and he left, got homesick, came back. 
And it just never really came together. Well, now he's headed to Southern Miss. I think he'll go down there and have a good career. Wish him the absolute best. Dylan Johnson, of course, leaves us for the University of Washington. That's a surprise to me that he would go that far away from home. Because, again, you know, I'm a Dylan Johnson fan. I wish him the best. And, again, we won't have to play against him unless we face those guys in a bowl game. You know, Auburn, of course, tried to make him a bit of a priority, but it uh, didn't work out. And then there's Xavier Thomas, who entered the portal and then came back out. That's big. Dylan Lawrence leaves to go to Southern Miss. He was a guy, too. Remember, he was the last guy signed in his class. Was a solid two deeper for us, but never really uh, made much of an impact. Now he's got his degree, and he'll head to Southern Miss. Maybe he can get on the field down there. You wish him the best. Sawyer Robertson, of course, headed to Baylor. Really thought he was the future of the program. Braden Locke, of course, also leaves. Now he's headed to Wisconsin. Jevin Banks is committed to Kansas State. Jevin Banks, a bit of a tweener, but he was one of my favorite guys in that class. Guy gave us a great effort. And again, really probably a G5 plus type player, right? A guy that would probably be a really good player on a G5 level and perhaps a role player here in the SEC. And that's what he was. And he figures that out. And he goes like, you know, I want to be a starter. I want to have a chance to get on the field somewhere. And so that, that's what he's done. But you start, you know, now you've got a couple of guys still making decisions. But you got Tulu and Banks, Locke, Robertson, Lawrence, um, Dylan Johnson, uh, Gabe, Bull, Rara, Scooby, Daniel Greek, you know. And so you get down to about a dozen guys that have left that are scholarship players and people begin to think, oh my gosh, you know, look at what's happened to us. I'm not going to run through the whole league, but I'm going to hit you up on a couple of these. I think it's important to understand this too. Like you look at this, like the Ole Miss situation here, you know, because they're the ones that are so critical of us. Uh, you know, they've got what, one, two, three, four, five. Let's see here. Six, Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18 players. There's more than that. So it's like, oh, look at the Mississippi State guys in the portal. Well, there's even more of the Ole Miss guys in the portal. And there's a whole bunch of Texas A&M guys. It's a new day and era. It's, it's not necessarily a criticism. Of course, people take glee in your misfortune when you're rivals. Just how it is. But things have got to change. Now, they can't take the portal away, nor should they. Now, we, they're trying to kind of get their arms around it. Of course, we've got the transfer portal windows in place now, which I think is a step in the right direction. They decided not to allow multi-transfers uh, that allow immediate eligibility. And that's one thing. Like people are like, oh, my gosh, what about this guy and this guy and this guy? All right, once you've already used your one-time transfer exception, you can't use it again. Now, if you get your degree... You can be a grad transfer, but you can't just continue to move. You can't go back to back to back to back to back and then be eligible to play. You know, I'm a firm believer there wasn't a lot wrong with the system. I think we fixed a problem that didn't truly exist. You say, but Steve, you're wrong. I, I don't think so. I don't think there was anything wrong with a player transferring and then sitting out the year unless both schools agreed. You know, we had some guys in basketball a couple of years ago that were that never should have been signed, right? Let's just be honest. They weren't good enough to play in the SEC. And they come in here and they get negligible playing time. They decide to leave. Well, Mississippi State is like, you know what? We're okay with these kids playing. And so they notify the other school. 
They put together a joint waiver, and the NCAA signs off on it. What's wrong with that system? There's nothing wrong with that system because you've got guys that are leaving for more playing time. They're not going to be able to take trade secrets and work against you. And so if both schools sign off on it, what's wrong with it? Well, now what you've done is you've opened it up where the student-athletes can hold the universities hostage. Well, I don't like the fact that I'm the two-deeper, so I'm going to go get in the portal. And I'm going to go play against you next year. You know, so it's like we, we have basically opened Pandora's box here and then paired it with NIL, which has opened the door for people to monetize recruiting in a very legal way. And so there's got to be some changes to this. Now, you can't take it away. And I always, it's so interesting. I read people say, well, if they do this, they're going to get sued. That's how laws are made. That's how precedents are set is through lawsuits. You know, the reason that we even have the um, – I forget the guy's name now from UCLA, the whole thing about the video game, you know, the O'Bannon lawsuit. Well, that's what kind of opened the door for all this, for players to be compensated for name, image, and likeness because you had EA Sports and others who were doing these collegiate video games and then using the roster and the look of your players – Hey, 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 you can go get the authentic roster and play with Mississippi State, and there's Tyler Russell and Chad Bumpus and Ladarius Perkins. So they're exploiting their image to make profit, and they're not sharing that profits with the players themselves. And so that's what that lawsuit, you know, the crux of the lawsuit was about. In addition to all that stuff, I mean, it's like how, how much money did Jake Mangum and Dak Prescott leave on the table because they couldn't profit from jersey sales? I mean, all of a sudden we get a star player and everybody wants to go out and get their jersey. And then the NCAA, in some respects, pocket that money themselves because you could buy it through the NCAA shop. So you could go buy Jake Mancom's jersey and Jake not make a dime. That was wrong. But the way this thing has been rolled out to us and proposed to us is not how it's being implemented. So there's got to be changes made. I don't have all the answers. But I can tell you that um, I think that there are probably some people out there smarter than all of us that can figure this thing out. I think, that, again, the transfer windows are important. But, you know, when the transfer windows are open, the people out there that don't mean good for these young people are action, are in action. They're trying to get them. It's like, hey, well, they go out and contact this school. Hey, if so-and-so goes in the portal, what will you give us for him? We can get him, but it's going to cost you $25,000. And then a kid gets, you know, $15,000, whatever, and they pocket the rest. That, that's, that, those are the things that are happening. I've had so many people, donors, that have called me in recent days, and they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Do we, do we just throw our hands up here? No, we don't throw our hands up here. we got to do our best to tread water here, but we also have to hope that our university president and our league and Greg Sankey and people of that nature and that stature can bring some change. And and the end of the day, you know the number one thing that they can do is enforce the rules. You know, the rules are already in place, and that was the big warning. If you get caught tampering, you're going to get hammered. Now, we know that Ole Miss got caught tampering with Jerry and Jones and Fabian Lovett, and the league put them on probation, and there was a prohibition on them taking Mississippi State transfers for, what, two years, I think? And they got Malik Heath, and they weren't able to get him enrolled because they had to wait until that period ended. And so, yeah, there is precedent of people being caught for tampering. I didn't think the penalties need to be more severe. And some would say, well, Steve, everybody's tampering in some respects. That's probably true. But if you can prove that it's on the direction of the coaching staff, I think you've got to hammer people. You've got to make it worth the while of everybody else. You can't make it fashionable for people to go out there and poach players off an active roster. 
That's what needs to happen. Enforce the rules. Strengthen the penalties and then enforce and implement the penalties. Hold people accountable. Because right now it's a wild, wild west. And that's the thing you begin to think about if you're Mississippi State. Like, hey, Steve, we got eight home games next year. The four road games are toss-off. We got a chance at a 10-win or better season. Got a chance at a big year next year. But if we have people out here actively taking players off our roster, it diminishes us from taking the next step. And that's that's what your frustration is centered around. It's not around a, it's not one particular player. It's not about Tulu Griffin. It's about thinking, hey, with Tulu, we got a chance next year to have a special season. If we don't have Tulu, then perhaps that season's not quite as special. That's where the frustration comes from. Because I don't think you're going to be able to go out there in a portal at this late date and find somebody equal to Tulu Griffin. Tulu Griffin was an All-American kick returner and underutilized as a receiver. Let's just be honest about that as with ourselves. But So I don't know that you can go out there and find a guy as good as him. I think that's what you all realize, too. It's like, hey, we're better off as a football team with Tulu Griffin. And so it's like, okay, we finally get the coaching staff somewhat settled. We get an AD hired. Now we can kind of – we talk about taking that deep breath. And just as we get ready to lay down last night and relax, this news breaks. And so it's just this up and down thing. There's this repetitive cycle that we've seen. And, again, I'm not being critical of Tulu Griffin. Again, I don't know his reasoning behind the decision, but I know that Tulu Griffin makes us a better football team. There's no question about that. Tulu makes us a better team. And, uh, again, I don't know his reasoning behind it, but I think Tulu Griffin has benefited from being at Mississippi State. But if we're being fair about this – I don't think he ever should have been an outside receiver. I think we should have had him as a slot receiver and we should have forced fed the football to him because he is an explosive player. He is. And so you hope with a new staff coming in and of course a new wide receiver coach, I guarantee you Chad Bumpus knows how to use Tulu Griffin. I don't think there's any question. Chad would know how to utilize him. And of course, Barbe coming in, you got a guy like him that's so shaky in the open field. You know, he is a guy that if you miss a tackle on the open field, it's six, Right. And so, and maybe shaky is not the right word. Shifty is probably the better word there. But um, when you've got a guy that's explosive like Tulu, you want to keep him. And so, I, Mississippi State's not going to give up at this point. But, you know, listen, all bets are off once they go in the portal. I mean, Xavier Thomas is the only one in recent memory at Mississippi State that has gone in the portal and then withdrawn his name. Usually when guys go in, they end up going somewhere else. It's very rare to see guys pull their name out of the portal. It happens, but not with great regularity. And so – you know, Tulu Griffin's not going to make or break us next year, but he certainly makes us a better team. I think we're all in agreement with that, and we certainly want him to stay. And again, I say, if you want him to stay, going out on social media and being critical of him doesn't help that effort. That's the best and worst thing about social media is that anybody can use it. And there's so many people out there that hide behind anonymity and just say absolutely hateful and hurtful things. Unless I get it. Some people say, well, some of these people are all Miss fans pretending to be state fans. That's probably some truth in that, too. But there are also some Mississippi State people out there that are, it's not some big clandestine plot to make us look bad. We got some crummy fans, too, that go out there and do some things on social media to embarrass the program, and they feel like they're speaking for the rest of us. It just shouldn't happen. Absolutely shouldn't happen. All right, let's thank our friends at Portico. If you're moving to Starkville now, I encourage you to make Portico your home. If I was moving to Starkville today, that's where I'd move. I'd love to be that close to campus, but also kind of nestled away in a nice little neighborhood there. You know, so you get the convenience of campus, but you also have the privacy of the neighborhood. Next time you're in town, go by and check them out yourself. You can turn off of 82 on the 12 and take that first ride on Pat Station Road. Go through the four-way stoppers portico on the right-hand side. Very easy to get to. Give yourself a self-guided tour. 
And you good chance to look at the craftsmanship, too. I mean, they're doing a good job out there. I mean, this isn't just like a ramshackle place just because it's close to campus. These are quality homes. You're going to be glad that you went out there and checked it out. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath, and really anything in between. If you need a custom build, their, their builders can take care of that for you, too. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan at 601-416-8075. That's 601-416-8075. Brooks can answer all your questions. And you probably got a bunch. I encourage you to reach out to Brooks for more information. Make Portico your next move. All right, time we got left. Let's talk a little recruiting. As Roy Samante and I were eating breakfast at the Starkville Cafe today, Zach Arnett, Eric Mealy came in, and then some recruits came in. And, uh, you know, this is one thing, too. You had a couple of signees that hadn't taken their official visits. That's punter Keelan Crimmings from uh, Australia. His very first time in the United States. He's here getting ready to go, getting ready to, to begin uh, fall classes. So he's here. Leon Bell, of course, late addition to the class. He also is here. A couple other visitors. Uh, Jacoby Albert from Kentucky. Talked about him recently uh, on the jeanspage.com message boards. And uh, trying to get that done. You know, he's here this weekend. Should be his last visit before he makes his decision. Uh, native out of Alabama. Very good player. Uh, and state has needs at the safety positions. And trying to get that one done. And then there's Damian George, uh, former Alabama uh, player in the portal too. Now, he won't be here until Sunday. It'll be a short visit. He's visiting somewhere else. And so he's trying to to pack it all in here as he makes a decision. So just a handful of visitors here this weekend. Uh, but we, we have added some transfers too. We talk about, you know, sometimes we only talk about the things that are negative and people begin to kind of focus on that stuff. But uh, we have added some players. Uh, Christopher Keys from Collins, Mississippi. Has spent the last couple of years at Indiana. They got two years of eligibility left. And uh, this is a guy, too, state recruiting him a little bit. We never pulled the trigger in high school, but now he's headed back. Uh, the fine folks in Collins, Mississippi, I'm sure, are happy about that. But, uh, yeah, Chris, some production. You know, this is not a guy that's just a roster filler. He was in a north-south game coming out of high school. Uh, let's see, he played in the – I guess they listed him in the Miss Al game. Um. Redshirted in 2020, uh, did play in three games, played against Ohio State, Maryland, and then in the Outback Bowl. In 2021, he played in two games and then suffered a season-ending injury, which makes me wonder perhaps if we get to the end of this thing in a couple years, if Bracky Brad or Steve Smith can't get him a medical hardship year. I suspect they could. So while he has two years of eligibility left, he, you know, he redshirted 2020, so he doesn't have that, quote, COVID year. And, you know, as it runs right now on paper, he has two years of eligibility. But I think there is a case to be made once he's completed those two years, maybe you could get in a medical hardship year. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, that's why it's there. Plays in two games, suffers season and injury. That's why that rule is in place. So he's healthy this past year. Played nine games, started two. Uh, had a couple tackles against Idaho, a couple against Western Kentucky, a couple against Nebraska. Uh, started against number four Michigan, had three tackles in a game. Had three stops against Maryland, two against Rutgers, and had one against number 16 Penn State. So he, he has played extensively this year, mainly as a two-deeper. And so this is a guy now headed home, healthy, you know, with three years of experience in a Power 5 program. Now, granted, one of those years he was injured, but, uh, you know, he's still around the culture. He understands what it takes. So this is a good get for Mississippi State, especially when you consider our losses at that position. This is a young man that we expect this spring to come in and compete for a starting position. 
don't think there's any question. And the fact, here we go again. We talk about these Mississippi kids, right? Here we go. A guy from Mississippi, out of state for three years, gets a chance to come home. Again, probably a guy we should have offered out of high school, to be quite honest with you. But um, good get, for sure. In addition, we had UCLA kicker Nicholas Barmira. Uh, this is a guy, too, not just a reserve kicker. This is a guy that has been around. He's kicked in some high-pressure situations. And um, I got his numbers right here. All right, so uh, let's see here. Let's see here. His, uh, let's see here. Two brothers and one sister and a previous UCLA football player, Anthony Barr, was one of his brothers. So UCLA family for sure. Uh, out of Loyola High School, became a Bruin, uh, redshirted in 2019, was the kicker in 2020. Had the team lead for 48 points. Uh, converted his first five field goal attempts, including a last-minute 43-yarder against USC to give UCLA the lead. In the top 20 in field goal percentage that year. And that's a COVID year, right? Uh, converted 14 to 21 field goal attempts for the long of 48 against Arizona State in 2021. Had a career-best three field goals that day. Ranked second among kickers in the Pac-12 with scoring. And fifth in the league in scoring. 2020 converted 15 to 21 field goal attempts for long of 49 against South Alabama. Connected on a career best four field goals in that game. Made three of three against Oregon. Converted all 56 extra point attempts. That's music to your ears right there, isn't it? That the extra point would be automatic after what we've endured the last couple of years. So yeah, so 56 for 56. Scored 101 points. And also punted. Averaging 41.7 yards a kick. So maybe he can help handle that while Keelan gets up to speed. But uh, a very, very, very good kicker who was done on the Power 5 level. And, again, you start tra- tra- tracking eligibility here. Two years. Because 2020 he played. That was the COVID year, so you get that year back. So he still has two years of eligibility left because um, 19 is considered the redshirt year. So you look at him, and all of a sudden you start thinking, we don't have to go in the portal next year. We shouldn't have to go in the portal next year to find a field goal kicker. Uh, provided he can handle things. And, uh, again, this is a big deal. A gift from Palos Verdes, California, uh, listed as a redshirt junior. <clears throat> but uh, really a good get for Mississippi State. I mean, we were all excited about Massimo Biscardi last year. This guy's even better. Kicking got better this year, but i tell you this, we're not still not quite where we need to be. And so I think Nicholas is a step in the right direction in many respects there. And, again, I wanted to touch on that. It's because it's like sometimes it feels like all this transfer portal stuff is always just negative. You know, and, again, let's not forget about Radar Jones and Kamari Rogers. You know, those are guys that are going to be coming too. And so the portal will give it, then the portal will take it. It's like sometimes we only focus on who's leaving. And I know part of that too is like we're thinking about these guys are coming in addition to what we have returning. Like, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, we patched up this hole. We should be good. Oh, now we got another hole, Right. But, uh, again, kind of wrapping things up here with, uh, you know, the portal. And, of course, you can, you can continue to sign players all the way up to the drop ad date. And even then there is a little bit of, um, you know, wiggle room there. You know, you can work with admissions and you can work with the registrar's office and you can kind of get those things taken care of. Uh, we saw that with Jalen Green a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, you're going to see some new additions that will be announced by the university once they enroll in school. Uh, there's nothing to sign other than your financial agreement. And, and until you 
are enrolled in schools, you're still a recruitable athlete. We saw that with Marcus Banks last year, and some people tried to deny it, and they will never fully appreciate the job that your staff did to kind of hold off Miami there in the end. That there was you know a lot of NIL stuff involved in all that stuff, and Jason Washington you know, did a great job getting it done. But once Banks committed, you know, Miami kind of intensified their efforts and give Jason Washington and Marcus Banks and his mom you know, a lot of credit for seeing that thing through. And Marcus Banks, I think, will be a starting corner for Mississippi State this year. And, and of course, scores the last touchdown of the year for us. But, uh, you know, as excited as we get about players coming in, I, I would say the reaction when the player leaves, especially a guy like Tula that is a difference maker, you know, the reaction is probably ten times as powerful, right? It's like when, when you see Daniel Grigg leave, everybody's like, hey, you know what, good for the kid, right? I mean, he's found a chance to go play somewhere. And then you see Sawyer Robertson leave, and everybody's like, well, I saw that coming. Then you see Braden Locke, and you're like, wait a minute, what's happened to our quarterback room? We've lost three scholarship quarterbacks to the portal. And then there's talk out there that some people are trying to get Will Rogers to get in the portal, right? I mean, so it's like all of a sudden you go from arguably the most talented quarterback room you've ever had to now you don't really have a quarterback room. Now you've got Chris Parson, who's now on campus, right? And Chris is still you know, working himself back into good health. They'll be careful with him in the spring. But you, don't, you certainly wouldn't want to put Chris Parson in a situation in year one where he's got to go be your starter, right? I mean, we've got to go in the portal and find some depth at the quarterback position. We never thought we'd be in that position, really. There was some discussion about maybe we needed to go out of transfer portal quarterback, even if they're a walk-on, uh, just to provide some competition at the position. And I, to be honest with you, I think we had enough guys to compete. But now – it's not about a depth piece. Now, all of a sudden, it's almost like you got to go out and find an insurance policy. Maybe you got to go out and find a guy that's in the portal looking for a starting opportunity and say, hey, you know, we got a new staff on the offensive side of the football. Yes, we have one of the most prolific passers in college football, but we're going to run a new scheme this year, and you've got a chance to come in here and compete. And so maybe there is a quality backup in the portal that can provide some competition, but also give you a comfort level that in the event something happened with Will, God forbid, and you've got something to fall back on. And you know as well as I do, from the peewees to the pros, the team with the better quarterback wins, more times than not. That's just kind of the reality of the game. And all of a sudden, we went from having a stacked quarterback room to not really having a room. Well, now we've got kind of a quarterback closet. You, know, you just have Will and, and, and Chris go in there and watch film. You know, So we've got to get some things resolved there. Uh, and, and, again, I worry about implementation of this offense, you know, personnel-wise because we've run so much 10 personnel. You know, you don't have a lot of those H-back types. You don't have guys that can play as an attached tight end. So there will have to be some modification of the system this year and or we're going to have to find some tight ends here in the final hours. And maybe you do it in the spring. I don't know. And that's the thing nowadays. You're recruiting 365 days a year. With the portal recruiting changing the way that it has, you know, your needs today may be different post-spring. And after Barbe goes through the spring with the staff and they have a chance to evaluate some of these players, there may be some decisions made. And say, you know what, hey, we don't think you're a good fit for us. If you want to go get in the portal, we won't object to that. And there may be some players that go through and say, you know what, this isn't for me. And neither are wrong. We wouldn't want anybody to stay just to make the fans feel better, Right. And there's so much of that, too. It's like we'll see guys down the depth chart. And I remember – I won't say the name of the – I hate to even call them a media entity. They're just basically an aggregate. They just take everybody else's stuff and they 
write these sensational headlines and pass it off as their own just to get you to click. And I, I would encourage you, if you're following those sites, like the Saturday Down South and people like that, just unfollow them, right? Because you just find the initial report. Because trust me, if there's any news about Mississippi State, we're going to have it. At some point, the Clarion Ledger and the Dispatch are going to have it, right? So you're not gaining – you're just putting money in those people's pockets that mean harm to Mississippi State. But we had a backup quarterback, a walk-on quarterback, go in the portal, and they just basically write this sensationalized headline, you know, Mississippi State quarterback goes in the portal. Well, then there are a lot of people out there that maybe aren't as big of fans as you are that really follow the program in the offseason the way that you do. And all of a sudden, people are thinking, oh, my gosh, well, Rodgers is leaving. And so they go click, and they find out that it's a walk-on quarterback and never played a snap. And so I just encourage you, you know, stick with the winners when it comes to that sort of stuff, right? Just kind of hang loose. All right, listen, we're going to wrap up today. Again, I apologize for being tardy. I don't think it's ever happened to me before. But I'll be honest with you, I got back home, right? just did not feel good. I mean, didn't feel sick. But you know, you know how it's like maybe I ate something and didn't agree with me, but I got home. I just want to lay down for a while. It's been one of these deals, too, you know. It's like I feel like I've been going and going and going and going and going. And even when I'm on vacation, you know, it's like I had to kind of, you know, show some discipline there and kind of spend time with the family because I get so addicted to all this stuff sometimes, too. Like, I've, I've got to remind myself what matters most. But since I've been back, it, it seems like we have been in sprint mode the entire time. I mean, absolutely sprint mode in every aspect. I know you guys feel it, too. I think we're all just kind of ready for a bit of a break. And that's kind of how I felt yesterday. It's like I got home. And I said, okay, I'll just record the show tonight after I get to feeling better. Next thing you know, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take the dogs out one more time and I'm going to lay down and watch a little TV. And I'll tell you this, too. I, you know, I, I watch some Netflix when I can because I don't like – the only thing I really watch on TV are, are games, right? Watch football games or baseball games. And uh, I, I absolutely despise commercials. I understand that's part of the deal. And there's commercials on this show. There, I mean, that's – you know, people have to be compensated for their efforts. I get it. But I love being able to watch Netflix because you can watch things without commercial interruption. I love it. I absolutely do. I love being able to sit down. But I always get kind of sad. You know, it's like you watch this series and it's like you get to know the characters. And I can't wait for it to be over because I want to see how it ends, right? Because I love the writing aspect of things. I love to see people tell stories. And then I get to the end of it and I'm going to miss those characters. I'm like, well, well, now what do I watch? Now what do I watch? And so that'll be my focus the rest of the day is figuring out something that uh, we're going to watch. And then, of course, I'll be on the jeanspage.com message boards. And, uh, you know, we got basketball today, too. So I encourage you to plug into that, too. And uh, Chris Jans and the staff, uh, just trying to – again, I'm a big proponent of Chris Jans. I, I absolutely think we hired the right guy. It's just a matter of us, you know, finding some pieces, recruiting aspect of this thing to kind of move the thing forward. But, again, the the greatest compliment you could ever give a coach is their team plays hard. And these kids absolutely play hard. I, to be honest with you, I think we're getting more out of this roster than we did last year. And I understand there was a lot of upheaval. Don't get me wrong. But I think there has been a culture shift. I think we are a tougher team. And because of that toughness, I think we'll figure some things out. We'll figure some things out offensively. Chris and those guys know what they're doing. And they understand the opportunity they have in front of us. And, of course – you know, they have a new boss today, right? And so that's a big aspect of things, too. I mean, a lot of people here in year one of their contract, they have a new boss. And so you want to make sure you get that extension here in a couple of years. Uh, so you got to make sure you're out there putting a quality product on the floor. And so, uh, again, when you see our new people, our, our new coaches around, be sure and say hello to them. Welcome to Starkville. Right? It's a big thing, man. We, we talk about being a family. In many respects, we are. 
until somebody tries to leave the family that we completely forget that aspect of things. Uh, but yeah, we got new people in. I tell you, that one of the things that I've been so impressed upon is uh, when we've seen coaches leave, you know, I saw a lot of people that were very, very, very supportive of Drew Hollingshead on Twitter when he got that opportunity at Western Kentucky. And I'm sure he's making less there than he was making here. But it's a resume building opportunity for him. And there were so many people, Bulldog fans, I was so proud of that. You know, wishing Drew the best. Hey, congratulations, coach. Go kill it. Go go up there and kill it for four years and then come back here. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of people that said – so that's a good side of social media. And so I want to see as much of that as we can. I'm not a contrarian, but I also understand, too, that uh, you don't really gain anything by being a jerk to people on, on social media. And I've done that myself before, so I'm not being hypocritical. There are a lot of times – my wife's told me many times, if you can't make it funny, don't respond to the idiots – because all you're doing is lowering yourself to their level. So I need to make sure I remember that. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpiledabook.com. You get all my sports books there. That's Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, uh, and, of course, Dogpile. Blooms of Oleander, available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. Uh, everywhere quality books are sold. You can also get that through your local bookstores. If you want to make sure they get your business and they make a little money in the process, go right ahead. But you could probably get it at a discount at Amazon.com. All right, that's it for today. I'll be back with you guys on Monday. And uh, barring anything totally unforeseen, we'll be on regular schedule next week. I do caution you again, your Friday show next week will probably be re-recorded Thursday night. So when you get up Friday morning, it should be ready to roll for you. And hopefully that'll make up for uh, the fact that I missed yesterday. But uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I will be out in Albuquerque for uh, you know for a few days. And uh, once we get done with that, I think it's, uh, it's less than six weeks now before the bride comes home. And so your good friend and host will be a much happier person here. Uh, sooner rather than later and then college baseball will be here too and and i'm excited about that you know once we get through um our valentine's day celebration and i hope that you all have something to celebrate we'll be getting ready to play a little baseball that's always fun chance to gather at duty noble field and of course as always you know it's going to be you know march and february baseball is always chilly uh, so be prepared for that ball doesn't carry as well until the sun starts shining later in the spring but um so a lot of people think, I don't understand. Where all this power? Well, it's you just don't hit home runs in the winter. Pretty rare that happens. But I uh, cannot wait for that. You start think, start counting down the days, man. We're, we're just over a month away from playing college baseball. Just over a month away. And I, and I start doing the math and all this stuff, too. It's like, okay, I'll be in Albuquerque, and then I'm back. And then all of a sudden, we have National Signing Day. Then there's Valentine's Day. Then there's college baseball. Then we're going to Nashville to celebrate. And the next thing you know, uh, she's home, and I'm a kind. Of, I always need something to look forward to, and and I don't. I just don't like to be a day-to-day person, and so uh, I always like to plan things. So I hope you had a chance to get out and go plan some things. But again, as always, love the people in your life, and the people that you love. Make sure they know that you love them. Go out of your way to let them know you love them, whether that be a thoughtful gift or just doing some acts of service. But uh, I just, I'm just a firm believer, and we need more love in the world. And sometimes saying I love you is just not enough. Well, it is very important. I mean, my my favorite phrase in the world to ever have to utter to somebody is I love you too, because it means they love me first, right? And that's not that I'm narcissistic or anything. But, uh, you know, sometimes when you tell people I love you, they say I love you too out out of habit or a social custom or whatever. But when you go the extra effort and you try to make somebody else's life easier, that's what matters most. And that's something we should all, all kind of invest in is making the lives of the people we love easier. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.